Good Wednesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. Thank you kindly for joining us on a gorgeous day to be alive here in Charlottesville and the Commonwealth of Virginia. Any day above the mud is a great day to be alive, guys. Today's program is going to be dynamite. Keith Smith is in San Diego for the Brian Buffini Conference. He is back in the saddle on Monday, but have no fear. We have two, two stakeholders with tremendous perspective on the program today. Judah Wickhammer is our director. Let's go to the studio camera. Let's welcome Scotty Moe, Scott Morris of Ross Mortgage, and Jeff Gaffney, the CEO of Real Estate 3. Gentlemen, good Wednesday morning to you guys. Awesome to be here. It's great yeah. to have you. How you feeling? Scott Morris and Jeff, I'm excited to chatter with you. Why don't we start with you, Scott? What have you been following since you were last in the studio seven days ago? Um. Well, let's see. I don't know. Uh, this morning, my Twin girls had their first day of kindergarten. I've been following that. Uh, what's going on in the market's been kind of, uh, you know, the volatility continues, uh, mostly with uh, the Fitch downgrade in U.S. credit and then Moody's downgrade of so many uh, regional banks and potential other banks. Uh, Wells Fargo has some, uh, as always, some little little problems with some integrity things on how they've been re reporting and recording. And uh, I think that we're going to see more pain in the banking system going into next year, which is going to drive potentially uh, some, some decrease in the Fed rate, hopefully sooner than later. Okay, so that's maybe a little different than last week. You are not thinking a Q4 rate hike? Well, that was right before... All of these downgrades came right on top of... Uh, this so what did i hear yesterday uh several times well we never really saw this coming and i don't think we ever see the things actually coming uh when they happen um because everything's great until it isn't and i think potentially what i've been forecasting is hope you know not necessarily hopefully but i think where we're going to where the pain from the fed's five percent increase is taking longer to settle the medicine's taking longer to take effect just like the inflation took longer to get here when they were printing money everybody was like inflation 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 and then they you know it didn't happen and then eventually that it set in and i think the same process is what we're experiencing uh in the rate cycle we'll get jeff gaffney in the mix here before we do um carly wagner is giving you props she said you are saving deals where other brokers have fallen flat. So evidently, you might have just rescued one very near the very uh, present past right there. She's du giving you some props. Ducks on the water. We're paddling, baby. Uh, let's get uh, Jeff Gaffney in the mix. Open edit. Anywhere you want to go to start, and then I'll ask you some specifics. Jeff, the show is yours. Well, first of all, I love a lender who saves deals. So way to go there. Um, <laughs> what an interesting year it's been. Um, I would have characterized the market up until this point as uh, you, you've seen the numbers um, it's holding up with last year's numbers the consumer the buyers seem to have so far this year been able to push through some of the resistance ie interest rates ie uh, rising prices bidding wars low inventory but here's the part that I think remains to be seen, is that um, 
it's a it's a really good market, but I've said from from day one of 2023, it's fragile. There is a, a fragility in the market that it's sort of like the consumer. If there's one more spy balloon or one more um, political event that happens, I, I think that the the purchasers, the pulse that I'm taking is that they're they're ready and wondering if they should take a break. But so far this year, they haven't. They've pushed through the resistance, and the numbers reflect that. Now, the the last thing I'll say is that um, the big issue that we have that we haven't faced really in, in my career is this shortage of inventory. Who, who would have thought that a neighborhood like Forest Lakes, 1,600 homes in Forest Lakes, there's four for sale right now. That's incredibly low inventory. And then uh, my favorite neighborhood, Glenmore, there's 930 homes in the community, one home for sale. So that presents problems it's good news mostly for the seller, but we're really tracking the buyer. How's the buyer going to handle these increased interest rates? Are they going to be able to push through? And then what, when they're ready to buy, what are, what are they going to buy? What's for sale? Not much. Great start with Jeff Gaffney right there. Scott Morris, thoughts on that? I mean, that, that is the inventory problem is what's protected value. Um, I mean, I think we would have if if everybody came on market at seven uh, percent, you'd have our days on market would be much much longer. Um, but you know, there's a there's a builder that I work with, uh, Jefferson Home Builders. They still do some turnkey. Uh, they've got some new construction properties uh, just outside of Gordonsville on Black Level Road for three hundred and sixty nine, three hundred forty thousand, uh, three hundred forty nine thousand dollars, um, which is you know that is an entry level price right now, um, and it's very difficult to find lots to put these homes on, and uh, with the limited number of developments being approved for. For the larger developers, uh, it's it's can we can these small mid-sized builders find these pockets to produce housing with that that people can afford? It? I mean, it's great that uh, we've got custom builders doing million-plus builds, but that's not helping the, the the inventory problem on its face. Lake Monticello, forty-five hundred homes in that community, only eleven units on the market right now for sale in Lake Monticello. You guys do the math. That is a sliver, a sliver of available inventory in Central Virginia's longest neighborhood or largest neighborhood. Comments already coming in. Uh, this one's coming in from Grayson, who watches from North Downtown. We give some props to Julie Ballard watching the show. Keith Smith watching in San, uh, San Diego right now. Dean Russell on your team watching the program. Dean, Neil Williams, what's up, baby? Neil Williamson watching the program right now. Kelly Jackson is watching um, over there on the south side of Charlottesville. This one from Grayson for Jeff specifically. Um, Jeff, how do you expect the final quarter of the year and into next year to open up from an inventory standpoint? Our family continues to look for a house to purchase, and there's just nothing to buy. Great question from Grayson. Um, I think you'll see inventory come on the market because there are brokers like myself that are out there uh, banging uh, the table and, and beating the bushes that are that are saying th- this is the truth right now. 
If you are a seller or considering selling in the market, there has never been a better time to sell at top dollar right now. So then right now. So I think that message is starting to get through. I think you'll see some more inventory come on. But then I just want to prepare you. The seller, when you get into the third and fourth quarter of the year, the seller has a decision to make. Do we put it on in October? Which traditionally is not when you want to put it on because right around the corner is February. That would be the peak of when you would put your house on the market. But I think you will see some smart sellers come to market. And so I would just say get yourself ready, get yourself pre-approved, um, and, and we'll have to wait to see what happens. But I would say there is going to be some inventory that comes. Candace Cox says, amen. Jeff Gaffney, to your first take right there. Katie Pearl watching the program. Brittany Gray, one of Stanley Martin's fantastic representatives, watching the program literally as we speak. See agents from six different firms on the show here. Scott Morris will get you in the mix. Last Thursday was the highest interest rate environment in 23 years. Um, we have Albemarle County right now, median values are at the highest in Albemarle County history right now. Year over year, an 11% increase in Albemarle County, according to the CAR second quarter report. We also had the Mortgage Bankers Association release data yesterday that the lending environment was at its 10-year low when it comes to mortgages being issued, meaning the environment is getting more stringent or more difficult to lend, at least according to the Mortgage Bankers Association right there. So we have some headwinds in front of us. I know you want to unpack what I just said. So, so grain of salt, one of the inventory problem is a contributor to that, not so much the lending standards. That, ha- that hasn't changed. I'm not running into... Uh, uh, that issues, but where where you are seeing that is in the commercial lending space. Uh, Blackstone and the other hedge fund groups have completely shut down the REITs. Um, so the and this is the big groups that go out and buy apartment buildings, that sort of thing. That funding has been completely shut up, shut off, and the refinancing has has almost come to a, a complete and total stop. Uh, where that is going to have the most effect is in the commercial side, where these big office spaces are owned. And they're forced to take these things to market, and the rentals don't support the value anymore, and the value is going to decline. And the regional banks who are holding these notes are going to suffer the most in this process going forward. That is the biggest, that is the biggest problem going forward, not on the residential side. The residential side is super clean, and the, any reduction you're seeing is a reflection of the inventory problem that we're facing at the moment. Kelly Jackson, um, one of Mountain Valley Farms' finest. Is it still Mountain Valley Farm? Is that the moniker? Is that the brand? Becca Mosby, she says, if I sell right now, gentlemen, where would I buy? Would I not just be paying more money for a new home? And she's always interested in selling that fabulous estate that she has. Who wants to touch that one? Well, if you assume that real estate's always increasing, won't you always be paying more for a new home? Your thoughts on that, Jeff Gaffney? You want to jump in on that? Um, I I hate to say this to Kelly Jackson, but I wouldn't sell. Um, I think the value of Mountain Valley Farm um, is going to continue to go through the roof. So I would stay, ride it out, and enjoy it. If you had the intestinal fortitude to sell, lease, 
and position yourself for when uh, there's a distressed, there will be some distressed properties at some point, there will be some opportunity, but, uh, you know, if, if you're not up for packing, moving, 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 uh, then I would just stay put, enjoy, and um, it's really money in the bank, the equity uh, on, on your home, and enjoy it. Vanessa Parkhill, Earliesville, welcome to the program. Realtors, jump in on the conversation. Scott Morris, I see the wheels turning over there. So I think if you're someone who, before you get yourself, when we talk about opportunity for distressed and properties coming to market, uh, take it, before you get in trouble, take advantage of the equity position that you have in order to capture some of that cash to solve those problems. While you may be able to, you know, be forced to take a higher interest rate uh, and, and higher payments, if, if you can capitalize on putting some of that cash in the bank to give yourself uh, some room to, to get through whatever the tough time is and then refinance again once rates drop, y- you may have more opportunity than you're aware of. So, but the problem is most of the time people wait until they've gone too far past the breaking point. They've missed payments. They put themselves in a position where they can't then refinance to protect themselves, and then they're forced to sell. And that's where uh, you know buyers could potentially capitalize. But we would need to see so much of that happen to it greatly affect this inventory situation that I don't know that we're there yet. Liz Nottingham, hello on LinkedIn. Candace Cox, I believe Keller Williams, right there. She says, Scott and Jeff, where do you think the interest rate environment is going to be? in the final quarter of this year and heading into next year. She adds um, to that comment, Scott, do you feel like they're going to be in the fives by the middle of next year? By the middle of next year, yes. You do think so? I do think so. Jeff, any thoughts on that? I'll leave that up to Scott. Um, I hope so. You know, as we are approaching eight right now, um, that tends to be a little bit of a breaking point, particularly coming on the back of just the other day, rates were two and a half percent. And so uh, a jump so fast is painful, particularly for the first time home buyer. First time home buyer oftentimes is looking to their parents for guidance. And if they're asking, turning and saying, is this a good time for me to buy at eight percent? It's, it's a tough one to swallow when you were just looking at two and a half. But in terms of the prediction, I'd go with Scott. Josh, Scott, I, you, you wanted yeah, to add I mean, something there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. Uh, unless you're buying uh, an investment property, a second home, or are forced into a non-QM product due to uh, how maybe some tax situations, 8% isn't uh, a reality. I think most people are going to be, uh, we, we've teased in the, you know, we've been in the mid sevens uh, at, the, at, the, at the very highest. We're back down kind of 7% and below, depending on uh, credit and qualification. And I think we've, we've, we've tested those highs several times. And again, we're seeing, we're seeing data that's bringing things back down. We're seeing inflation that's improving. We're seeing uh, potential hazards in in the banking sector that could force the government to step in. And while it is every bit to their advantage to lean on inflation and be hawkish in tone, I don't think they have a fourth quarter 
uh, raising rates. And I think that as the medicine kicks in from the 5% increase that we've seen in the last 12 months, we see continued improvement and something is going to break in the system that's going to force them to then begin cutting at some point going into next year. So you see the the bank downgrades over the last 48 hours being the fuel to potentially indefinitely pause the hikes that have made home ownership even more costly. That's what you're saying. That is what I'm saying. In very simplistic terms. Yes. Um, The 30-year with good credit um, right now in the 737-474 range. I mean, that's what you're seeing as an average. Um, You're probably... uh, you know, anywhere six six point eight two five somewhere in, in thereabouts. You know, so. Jeff. Question for you is coming the feed here. Does he expect the inventory coming on the market to get back to the seasonality of real estate, where we'll see inventory really hit hard at the end of the first quarter or early second quarter next year, or is the seasonality something that's now lost of real estate forever because of the digital age of real estate? Mm-hmm. That's a great question right there from Leslie. Interesting question. Um, I do think that there is a seasonality component in this market. I think we tend to line up our listings in February and March. That's just the kickoff of the market. The way that it's been, the daffodils start to bloom in March and April, and that's the spring market. Um, I, I think that it's much more difficult to sell a home between Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day. That tends to be a little bit of a dark period for inventory. It's tough to show properties during the holidays. And so will you see properties come on? Uh, it's, It's tough to say, but I will say this. Homes keep selling year round in the Charlottesville market. And so if I had a seller today who was debating list now or wait for the spring, again, my answer is list now, again, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know what we have right now, very low inventory and a lot of people that want to buy. So to me, it makes perfect sense list today. I think that's great advice. Yeah, I mean, we, you don't have a ton of competition. Yeah. I mean, come on. If you're if it's December 1st and you've got uh, a job that you're taking on or a situation you've got to deal with and you're selling your house in Glenmore and you're the only one for sale, you're probably going to get some offers. Um, if you're at Lake Monticello and you have a property that, uh, you know, doesn't have foundation issues and, you know, it hasn't been run down through rentals, if, it's a, if you've got a property that is in good condition, you're going to be able to sell it for top dollar in order to execute whatever lifestyle decision that you need to, you need to make. Well said, Scott Morris. Keep the questions coming, guys. Um, I see another one that's in the feed. This is from uh, Jonathan. Jerry, asked the question you asked the panel. Is this the most expensive or difficult time for first-time home buyers in their professional history? So I'm going to ask Jeff, with Jonathan prodding me here, you specifically, Jeff, is this the most difficult time for a first-time home buyer in your time in real estate? It is very difficult for the first-time home buyer because the other thing you're going head-to-head with when you're a first-time home buyer, you're up against the investor. The investor buyer is usually coming in in today's market. They're they're paying cash. The first-time home buyer is typically highly leveraged, and so the cash offer beats out the leveraged offer almost 
every time. Um, and, and so it's more and more difficult for the first-time homebuyer today. And, and I have seen uh, all through the year multiple offers on anything under 500000 And um, so it's becoming much more difficult, much more expensive. And I honestly think we may be on the verge of seeing some condo conversions again. We haven't said that in a, a long decade, but I think that's gonna come in to try to fill that uh, void in the market because there is nothing in Charlottesville, Albemarle County in, in the in the 300,000, there's, there's almost no inventory. So if you could convert apartments to condos. Where do you see that happening potentially? I think anybody who has an apartment complex is fair game for is that. Is thinking about that now. Yes. I mean, uh, a, a, a complex we know extremely well, Mr. Bart Fry owns a substantial amount of units that he's currently running at the Villas at Southern Ridge. Does he consider pivoting the model, changing the rental office to a sales office again? I know that sales office quite well. You know that sales office quite well. Do you see that coming down the pipe? Those units, one traded last week or went pending last week at 225. 225000 a three-bedroom, two-bath, not even the one with the den. It was the one without the office associated with it. It was 1,100 and some square feet, 225, competitive scenario, went under contract in a couple of weeks tops. Your thoughts on that? See a need, fill a need. I mean, there has never been a, a, a greater need for, for, for inventory in the twos and threes. I mean, there is a fertile market just waiting to happen. Will they do it? I mean, it, it, it takes time uh, to go through the conversion process, but it's, um, it's wide open. And the, the one other thing about this that I have noticed, it, and, and I'd be interested in what you all see and what your audience is seeing, but I'm actually seeing a little bit of vacancy in apartments. And... Um, for some landlords who have purchased apartments that are starting to feel a little bit of pain and can cash out on a conversion, that's an easy pa- easier path to go. And, and so I, I think the stage is being set for that. Will it happen? I don't know. Will Bart Fry do it? Probably not. I think he's happy. With oh, man, his, he's stacking paper right now <laughs> with his rentals. With yeah. his position over at the Villas at Southern Ridge. But if you're newer to the market um, and you're feeling a little bit of pain and you see that wide open hole in the market, I think it's an easy place to easier place to get potentially. Scott Morris. Apartments possibly I don't I don't have enough direct contact uh, to, to weigh an opinion there, but I will say that from the realtors that I speak with and from some clients uh, that I'm aware of, we're I'm talking people with 700 credit scores who qualify, trying to get into a townhome or a home for rent. They're in multiple offer situations trying to get into a rental. They can't get into a rental in their home, a rental home, not an apartment, a townhome, uh, uh, a single-family residence. They're in as much competition trying to get into a rental. And these are people without pets and crazy scenarios going, you know, I got 13 parakeets and a squirrel. Yeah, where can I go? It's like, yeah, you know, I'm talking like your normal normal 
person who's looking to rent an apartment is having as much competition getting into a rental as they are uh, a, a regular home. But the other thing, the advantage to a first-time home buyer, if there is an advantage right now, investors who aren't paying cash or if they're paying cash and they're going into a property that they're going to have to renovate, they're really, they're, they focus on cash flow and, and can they make it make sense. And if you can, as a first-time home buyer, put yourself in a position to – I taught a class yesterday on renovation lending for realtors. Uh, and the goal is if we can find distressed properties that an investor may not be keen to because it doesn't price just right for them, but we can get a first-time home buyer in who, say, qualifies at 425 into a – $300,000 property that clearly has some deferred maintenance and some concerns that's only going to take a reno or a cash offer. We get them in with a renovation loan. The property once completed, let's say it appraises at four twenty-five, but we're in, we're all in at four hundred dollars for the amount of work that we need to do. Once the work's complete seven months down the road, then the rates, the interest rates are in a better position as well. You refinance into a conventional loan out of the FHA 203K into a lower payment, lower mortgage insurance, and a much better position into a property that you never would have been able to qualify if you were trying to buy it at the single first shot. Well said. That's the third sizzle reel right there. Jeff Gaffney. Uh, slight rebuttal. I love what you're saying with the, is this like the HO, um, the I can do 203K? It. I, can do it. I can do it conventional and I can do it 203K, yeah. Um, so I love the renovation idea. It takes some intestinal fortitude, as you know, to, to do that, to go through the renovation process. It takes the right team. The most important thing is having a good HUD, HUD consultant. If you don't have a good HUD, HUD consultant, you have a nightmare of a process. Um, a friend of the show, Woody Fincham, his brother Danny, is an amazing uh, person and helps us get through these things all the time. It's, it's fantastic. Where I was going is that when you compare the opportunity of purchase, renovate, move in, compare that experience, which for some people that's that's the right thing, and and, and I want to I'm I'm saying this kindly. When you compare that to a brand new townhome. Again, if you can find it. I was like, where are they? Uh, but they're coming. There are, there's a lot of townhomes coming. Okay. Uh, Ravana Village, second phase. I mean, it's, it's, it's coming. When you compare those two uh, experiences, that's where the builder has it be every time. Sure, if you want to live in a townhome, but if let's say that you wanted to look at a more rural area like Fork Union or Green or okay. Madison, um, Louisa, uh, Goochland, Powhatan, uh, depending on who's listening and where you are, uh, if you want, if you don't want to live in a townhome and want to try to take a shot at a single-family residence that's had some deferred maintenance that has a hard time coming to market given its condition, we've got a way to solve that problem for you, and you don't have to hear your neighbors to the wall. I think that's a, a great program. Again, I was thinking more along because, you know, I'm, I'm holding the hand of, of buyers, and I see the experience and the heartbeat that happens. And this is more of a compliment to the builders. Their model homes are so compelling. They smell great, they're clean, they're beautiful, as opposed to the renovation. Not that there's anything wrong with the renovation. If you, if you 
put new floors, new carpet, and painted the reno, it smells just like the new house. But the buyer doesn't see that in the old attitude. Which is why we as professionals, it's our job to convey that to them sure. and show them the path versus trying to tell them that I know it's tough out there and it's really hard and I'm sorry that this sucks for you. It sucks for everybody. Doesn't that suck? Nobody wants to hear that. We're on the same team, just so you know here. I'm not debating you from uh, um, the opposite side. We're on the same team. But what, what I see in the trenches and my, my realtor colleagues see is that old adage that buyers believe what, it, buyers believe what they see not what it can be. Now that's what, so the renovation loan, they have to buy into what it can be and it takes time. And again, where, where I was going, again, I'm not, I'm not debating you from a negative standpoint. Mine was just more of a prop to the builders. Again, when you walk in and the candles burning and the music's playing, it's, it's an incredible sales job that they do for that. Well, I think we're really kind of talking about two different products. No, we're 100% talking about two different buyer. products. But what we're talking about from the builder side is potentially a townhome in town for the same money that somebody could get for a single family if they, they, they put the work, if they had the plan in place. And when are we talking about these coming on? You know, they're not there right now. When, when, Ravana Village, the project he's talking about, is right around the corner from where we live. Um, soon, on the near horizon. It has been soon and on the near horizon for a little bit. Um, I think those. But what does that point, mean? I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball. So you don't have a. T- we, so you don't, don't even have a, have a real timeline. I will say this to Jeff's point that once these units do come to market, I would not, I would not be surprised that if the sellout happens very quickly. No. That's amazing. For yeah, how many, to how your many point, units? The inventory is not there now. How many units is it? Do you know? Do you know that? It's a couple hundred left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your thoughts? That's going to be in stages. So we're talking about uh, a progressive build of three years to from once it started, two, and we two, don't even know when two, it's going to start. Yeah. I think a better comparison might be Brook Hill Commons. There you go. That's a good it's one. Active today. There's hundreds and hundreds and endless supply of. Uh, Developable lots, and they're building there today. But now we just jump price point. We're in the mid fours. You're talking about more of the scenario in the mid threes, which I think is a very valid point. To to like, where do we the, get our our teachers, nurses, police, and firefighters in as first time home buyers at 22, 23 years old? They're you know they've just taken on these professions. They're salary earners. They don't carry a lot of debt, but at the same time. Um, what do we do, you know where is that entry point and if it's in these places that's fine but if you're telling if they're 22 years old and you're going hey in three years we might start building these things uh, that is that's not the opportunity that they're looking for and, and to um, a point that needs to be highlighted a, a lot of folks that are competing for these rentals in multiple offer situations for rentals are putting down first month's rent last month's rent and security deposit so in a lot of cases, you're looking 10K plus, 8 to 10K up front to rent a property. Um, so that should be highlighted as well. Here's a great question. This is from Candice. Um, we'll highlight Lottie Murray watching the show, Dr. Karen Wolf watching the program, Lisa Costello uh, watching the program, Katie Pearl watching the program. Eight firms watching the show here, a supervisor in Nelson County, Two city councilors in Charlottesville and a supervisor in Albemarle County all watching the show literally as we speak. 
Taylor Sutton, hello and welcome to the program as well. Candace says this, what is the likelihood that in the future, what is the likelihood that in the future buyer agent commission can be financed? None. None? Zero. Okay. You speak with confidence and conviction there. It has no attachment to the property. There's no bank and Fannie Freddie, unless the government, the only way it would happen is if uh, there was some drastic change from guidance from Fannie Freddie. I don't foresee that being the case. And she's, she's asking that question strictly because of an affordability. This would be, would be a way to potentially create affordability. Is that why she's asking that question? No, she's, Your thoughts on this, Jeff? She's really, an agent. Yeah, I would um, defer to my lender on that. It's more his wheelhouse. Okay, okay. The question's probably coming up through the litigation in uh, commissioned and the rumor mills that you know fly around the internet uh, buy, that buyers are going to have to start paying uh, agent commissions. I just don't see that. What will happen most likely is there'll be a level of disclosures that have to go out to the seller that they're acknowledging that they will be paying the representation for both sides because if first-time buyers were forced to pay agent commission, you're just stacking one more uh, layer of expensiveness onto affordability that everybody cries is unjust already because it, it, it's, it's difficult uh, in this environment. And uh, if you to do so would would be very limiting uh, in in for borrowers. Period. Um, Woody Fitchum has a couple of comments here. First, he thanks you for the props for his brother. Um, he also says interest rates will create a delta that will push consumers there. Reno loans work well when there is foreclosure inventory coming or coupled with higher rates. My pre-foreclosure pre work has increased some, but we are a ways away from it. Scott is doing the Lord's work by prepping for something that is going to be coming. He sees foreclosures potentially on the horizon. Any of you guys agree with that comment? There's a lot of equity. Um, I, so you don't think the foreclosures are on the horizon? I mean, it's going to happen. People get in trouble, and they don't and they don't ask for a lifeline until it's too late. Well, yeah. and with the inventory that we've talked about, the low inventory, you can kind of sell your way out of a problem today. Agreed. Yeah. Um, he also says renovation loans are hard. You, you need a great loan officer, you, and a great agent, Jeff, and a great appraiser, and an outstanding contractor who can understand how this works. I appreciate that comment from Woody. Um, this comment has come in uh, for Jeff specifically. Can you highlight what, what is coming from a new construction standpoint? Land acquisition and custom home building seems to be a potential path here. That's a great question from Jennifer, who's watching in Crozet. My response to that, and Jeff's the expert, Scott's the expert on that, is land acquisition is quite costly. The labor market is quite costly. Construction loans can be costly here, and you're not instantaneously in your house. You're looking like 10 to 12 months down the road. But the show is yours on that topic, Jeff. Yeah, at least. I mean, you have to look at the growth areas, which, you know, we all know now. You've got the 29 North uh, Corridor. We've got the Crozet Pocket for construction. And then you've got a little bit east of town in Keswick. You've got the property that Frank Balliff's been trying to get approved down the road from from Glenmore. You're talking Breezy Hill? From Breezy Hill. Yeah. 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 And I, I believe Frank and Charlie may be watching the program as we speak. Frank and Charlie, if you are, give us a little. Yeah. Okay. Um, Candace says, you're correct, Scott. That's what she was referencing. So, Scott, you're all over it there. 
Do you think um, there's an opportunity to build our way out of this? Or with the comp plan and Almoral being so limited, that's not a reality? Let me answer a slightly different question. Um, in 2009-2010, Home Builder Magazine forecasted this incredible shortage of housing. And those of us that read that article in 2009-2010, we couldn't comprehend what they were talking about because there was so much inventory, there was so much distress. The market, the world was upside down. But what potentially we're seeing is from that Dodd-Frank legislation, they basically cut off funding to all of the smaller builders. And so prior to 2009, half of our new construction in, in the Charlottesville market was by smaller builders who built homes, we call them spec homes, they built homes on speculation. And that filled a huge void in our inventory. If you go out into the market today, the number of builders who do that is minuscule. Almost none. Look at too much to potentially risk, too much exposure so doing that. Jefferson Home Builders and Culpepper uh, is is owned and operated by a family that has that does not want to deal with a construction loan. We will build our houses and sell our houses. Um, we don't wait on draws, that sort of thing. And that gives the opportunity uh, for these, these homes out in Gordonsville on Black Level, and there's, there's, there's several others in the, that area uh, that they've got coming to market between now and uh, October, where you can go in and purchase the home turnkey without a construction loan, and it, it, there's, a, there's an extreme advantage to the affordability there. Um, but but they just don't exist in general. And, and, Jerry, if you take a community like Glenmore, Glenmore in its heyday, so we're kind of talking pre-2009, of course, uh, in the early 2000s, you could find 20 different spec homes under construction at any given time. And what was incredible about that from the sales standpoint is a spec home means you don't have to wait a year for construction. The house is in different stages of construction. And so particularly this time of year, what was so nice is you could find a spec home. Somebody could move in, catch it before the end of summer and move in and be a part of the community. And the parade of homes was an amazing thing because every builder had one. Yes. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. And it put people in basically uh, open houses for builders all over the state. It was amazing. Jason Howard, hello. Watching on Raya Road. Johnny Garver, the chef, hello. Thank you kindly for joining us. Kelly Lewis, hello. Thank you kindly for joining us. Johnny Ornalis shared the show. He's the owner of Guadalajara and El Mariachi. Thank you for sharing the show. Um, have you ever seen the neighborhood you live in, Glenmore, as hot it is right now? And the history of you doing sales there? Because you've been doing it, you've been doing it for a bit. Yeah, thirty years. Um, I have never seen it like it is. I've never seen it with. We have again nine hundred thirty homes in the community. One home for sale. Um, I get calls every day from buyers that are are looking for a home in Glenmore. So if you're thinking about selling, it's a great time. I've, I've never seen it 
Um, and, and sometimes a community in different phases of development, it hits like this critical mass point. And I think what's happened in Glenmore is you had the first wave of critical mass where people people moved in and, and, and enjoyed the community. And then, the, then you got into the um, mid-2000s. And like a lot of communities in that price point, everything sort of just flatlined. And uh, there was no great demand. Uh, but then, as we've talked about on this show, the great comeback for Glenmore and the, you know, call it what it is, the McMansion market, is ha- was the pandemic. That was COVID. It, it, it brought everybody, was started pre-2019. Nobody wanted the 6,000 square foot, 4,000 square foot. Nobody wanted a house that size. Everybody wanted to downsize. Then, of course, we've talked about this on the show before, is COVID happens. People want the bigger house spread out. They want a nice community with walking trails and, and golf course and pickleball and equestrian trail and on and on and on. And so the community has hit this stage now where people are appreciating as a result of, birthed out of, the pandemic. Well said. Scott Morris, I see the wheels turning. Well, I mean, the only real solution to uh, affordable housing, if you want to, if that's the term we want to use. I or it's not or, workforce or, housing. Is some sort of, I mean, call, we can call America what it is. It, it, we, we live in a, a semi-socialist uh, economy, and the an, an administration, it doesn't matter who it is, I don't care about parties, I don't like you know, the, the, the whole thing, but uh, it, it's going to take an administration with a mindset of some sort of rural development focus and maybe not to the extreme degree in which China built cities that no, where no one lives, but some focus to go in and say, hey, we're going to we're going to extend interstate and water resources in these parts, you know, of the country, and you know there'll be some vying for all of that. And this would be a ten-year project from the time somebody rose their hand and said, "Hey, I've got this great idea." But it's going to take that type of mass development for the number of human beings that we have in most of these urban areas, where we just don't have the support for them, in order to push that out and expand commerce to more rural areas and put houses in place to support those economies. Because what we are seeing, even as areas as small as Charlottesville, uh, is the workforce is being pushed further and further away. And then when you get into uh, you know areas of North Carolina, they're experiencing it. In Maryland, it's a thing. And as that as that expansion happens, pushing these workers further from where they can afford to live, there's going to be some sort of, there needs to be some sort of plan in place to develop these more rural areas because the more rural area is beginning to uh, vote against the development. And then you have a problem on where to put the humans. Well, a good example of that is we're seeing that in Greene County. There's so much new housing stock coming down the pipe in Greene County that the political capital or the political willingness to continue that development is eroding in green. Um, And they have three to 400 units, additional incremental units coming down the pipe in green now 
and residents are seeing this in the news, they're seeing this on social media, and now they're galvanizing against additional inventory. But my point is, we don't need to incentivize the buyer. We need to incentivize the builder. I agree with that. And the only way to get there is for it to happen at a scale larger than individual municipalities. Devil's advocate with you both on that topic right there. Um, K-Tech, which educates a lot of folks getting into the trade schools. You've highlighted this. They don't have enough teachers to teach the students at K-Tech. Because nobody knows what what they're doing. And I'll take it a step further. Um, The labor market, um, we know a lot of custom home builders, small builders, the labor market for building a lot of these houses is not even labor from Charlottesville and Central Virginia. They're like essentially like bringing in labor from outside Charlottesville and Central Virginia to do these projects. If you were a highly skilled carpenter, oh, you're making who, who bank had right a now. personality and a half and, and enough brain to where you, you you could you know run a business, why would you go work at K Tech for fifty five thousand dollars a year and t- and to try to teach teenagers? Mm-hmm versus go out and earn. Wait, the, the entire process from educating them early and to teach and, and, the, and, and getting them, and not just into uh, you know, carpenters and plumbers, but auto technicians. The, Electricians. We, we broke the system 30 or 40 years ago, 100%. and now we're going, man, I can't believe the system's broke. Jeff Gaffney, thoughts on this? Well, um, you know, I go back to my original point, which was 2009 Dodd-Frank legislation. They cut off the financing. If miraculously the financing was turned back on, I think you'd see a whole lot of small builders resurrect out of that. But today they just can't get any capital. They can't do it. They can't compete against the big guy. And so, um, you know, that that would if I had the magic wand or I was king for the day, I'd rework some of that Dodd-Frank legislation and we'd be more conservative. But I think uh, the rebirth of the small builder, what Scott's going to say is, well, where is he going to build? How, what good is it to have more builders if you can't build? And it's a legitimate point. But I think the small builder will find a way of faith in the entrepreneur. We had, uh, I say this all the time, Diantha McKeel, supervisor of Elmore County, Jack Jewett District, sitting in your chair. And she looked in that camera that you're looking in, talking into that microphone, and says, I have no interest in expanding the developmental area in Almaro County. She says, the 5% right now is not fully maximized, so I will not vote to expand it. Ann Malik is not going to do that. She is on the cusp of winning a fifth term in Almaro County, which means if she does win her fifth term, she will have served on the Almaro County Board of Supervisors for 20 consecutive years. I want to put that in perspective for people. My opinion of what the small builder would do if they started getting the money, what I would do, uh, it wouldn't be building single-family homes. I'd go into these urban areas and start building my own apartment buildings, knowing that the constraints on the rental uh, inventory is just as difficult as that. And then maybe not face the, the problems or fight the fight. I'd, Devil's right, advocate, and right I don't mean now, to interrupt you here, Chris Henry's doing that right now with Dairy Market Phase 3. He's okay. trying to build 400 units on Preston Avenue at the location of twice as nice thrift store, the home brewing spot, um, Fifth Season Brewing, 
where Rockfish Brewing is. But that's not devil's advocate. You're just, I'm saying that's the point of least resistance. Well, like, I, why wouldn't people do that? I guess my devil's advocate point to that is the 10th and Page community is galvanizing and rallying against what Chris is trying to do. They're all going to do it, baby. But if yeah. you all, but if, if it's, <laughs> if, if, the, if, the, if they've already said this is what we want you to do and we've zoned for this, yeah. you're going to fight the NIMBYs no matter where you go, whether you're trying to build the develop. What he's saying is the, 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 the entrepreneur is always going to find a way. And right now I'm saying that these municipalities have built this as progress. Yeah, so yeah. people are going to take the money and build those things, not larger developments. They're not going to go pour the concrete, build the roads, fight the fight, and everything else that's expanded so much in the last 20 years on that side. I, they're going to take the easy – they're going to go find the money, and that's where the money is. Yeah, I think and, – and we'll get Jeff in the mix here. I just think that um, the small builder – is always looking for the path of least resistance. We represent one, which we talk about on this program quite a bit, and the path of least resistance is often by right, single family detached, four bedroom, two and a half bath, on like 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4, whatever it may be, and they just want it sold. Um, we're building the 400 unit apartment complex with ground floor um, commercial space often yields political outcry. But where do we? But that goes back to where do we find the acreage, like for sale, to execute that plan? Great question, Jeff. Anywhere you want to go on this topic, it's a good one. Um, I mentioned this last time on the show. I, th I think most people in the community realize that Albemarle County's growth management plan is to preserve the rural area, which no argument there, um, but. Their method of preserving the rural area is to max out density in the growth area. And so the product that they've forced to be created is what we've already talked about. Lots and lots of townhomes, lots of homes on uh, small home sites. And so my, my only point in, in bringing this up is what Albemarle County, when they do approve something... They're approving something, in my opinion, that's not necessarily what the consumer wants. In other words, you can't, in any of these new projects, you can't find a cul-de-sac anywhere. Everything is rear-loaded yeah. with an alley behind yep. it. And so they're forcing this animal on the marketplace under the umbrella of protect the rural area, which, of course, again, you can't... And the guise of affordable housing. Agreed. Uh, Stu Rifkin, welcome to the show. Watching in Maine, I believe, Stu. Thank you kindly for joining us. Woody um, has this comment. The opinions for Board of Supervisor members is twisted facts. There is so much red tape and costs required to build in those development areas that it's not economically feasible. Open up more space to help push down and stop adding um, so much cost from a government or red tape standpoint. The rule of thumb right now, 24% the cost of new construction is associated with red tape, permitting and paperwork, and not wood and granite and appliances and brick and site work, which is bananas. If you drop that 24% a little bit, of course that's going to create a little bit of more affordability for the market. Hit, hint, local government that's watching the program right now. This is a very good question. Scott, this one's coming in from Spencer. Do you see the development creeping into Culpeper um, or Madison at this point? 
Uh, Culpepper has somewhere around a thousand units that are coming on board in the next 24 months. Ryan Holmes has uh, one that's act. They've got the, their sales trailer up, and the the dirt's been pushed around, and they're getting you know the. There's another 80 on the backside of the uh, golf course, uh, the country club area, and then there's uh, something like 700 units at Clevenger's Corner, which is going to be a combination of uh, townhouses and single families. So there's, uh, you know, Culpeper's a great area for opportunity. I mean, it's got a nice downtown area. You're 30 minutes from Fredericksburg, you're 30 minutes from Charlottesville, uh, you're 40 minutes from Manassas, so it's a bedroom community for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, other other municipalities that also uh, has some uh, industry there. There's uh, Marillat Cabinets. There's Merchants Grocery Continental, uh, who said that they were going to shut down their facility, has had some problems in Mexico trying to move their uh, manufacturing down there. So they're, they're, they're hanging on for years later than they, they said they would. Uh, there's a lot of rural areas for small independent builders, like uh, the Moberleys of Inspired Homes. Angela's Jeff- watching right now. Jefferson Home Builders uh, provide a turnkey unit, which is uh, also an opportunity for a lot of people. Uh, it, there's there's a lot there. Um, it's a it's a great community. Uh, the you know the, there's definitely some pressure um, on. Uh, the school system and, and other things with the growth that they're seeing that they're going to have to face at some point, which they'll end up paying for in, in taxes. Uh, it, because it also, from a tax rate perspective, is advantageous compared to uh, the Fluvanna Albemarle area. Uh, you know, out there at 61 cents uh, per $100 as opposed to, you know, like 98. And it's, you know, it, there's a lo- there's a lot of advantages being there. There's a lot of growth happening. It's a great place. It's a great community. What do you think, Jeff Gaffney? Do you see growth heading Madison Culpepper's way? Do you see it going over the mountain to Augusta, Waynesboro? Folks love the tree streets in Waynesboro, for example. Where we're not seeing the growth so much is in Buckingham County. Um, Nelson County, for example, as well, year over year, values drop 25% according to the CAR Q2 report. Anywhere you want to go on this, Jeff. I see a, a great growth potential between Charlottesville and Richmond. Got the interstate, got good roads, um, and there are more and more of, of my clients and my colleagues' clients that has uh, one spouse works in Richmond and one in Charlottesville, and so I, I see that as an opportunity. Um, South is beautiful, but has no infrastructure, so unless there was um, something to change that, I don't, I don't see that happening. But um, whenever the market gets tight, we always talk about the valley. Uh, the valley's beautiful. I think there's great opportunity over there. There does seem to be a, um, you know, it's, it, with the mountains going over the mountains, it, it feels like once you've made that transition, maybe you're further away than from the Charlottesville proper community, if, if you will. You're, you're, you're farther out. But I think there's opportunity. Waynesboro, Stanton, I have clients that will go up into Harrisonburg. And so as you get on 81 on the other side of the mountain, I think north-south 81 starting to look really good again. 
Jeff Gaffney, Scott Morris dropping knowledge here. John Blair watching in Stanton. Welcome to the program. Jamie Turner says, um, I love when Scott reps the pep. Repping Culpepper right now. Um, viewers and listeners, put your thoughts in the feed. I would love to get page 12 of the Q2 report on screen. That's the one that talks values year over year. I'm going to highlight the report. You guys are the experts and get your take on it. This is second quarter last year for second quarter this year. Um, Almaro County, an 11% increase. For, it's on screen. Thank you, Judah. Everybody look at the screen now. A $479,000 median value last year. This year, 530K median value for Almaro, 11% increase. Louisa, last year, 361,250. This is Louisa County, 361,250. This year, 385,500, a 7% increase. The other counties, either flat or down. Charlottesville, 464 versus 470, 1% uptick. Fluvanna, a county you know well, 336 versus 345. And here's a crazy one here. Nelson, 425 last year versus 320 this year, a drop of 25%. First, let's go with Albemarle. Why the 11% increase year over year in Albemarle County? Jeff, why don't you go first on that one? Pretty simple. Inventory? No inventory, lots of buyers, um, price going up and up. What do you think, Scotty Mel? I mean, we've talked about this um, ad nauseum. The, the buyer who bought at 3.5%, who was a policeman, a fire prayer, a teacher, a nurse, could not sell their house with the X thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars of equity and then go find something. There's no move-up option for them because if they bought at 55% of total debt-to-income at $380,000 in a house that's now worth four hundred and seventy-five, dollars they couldn't qualify to buy that house again at 5.5%, much less 7 So they can't take those properties to market. So what is coming to market at the greater value you've got a limited number of buyers who qualify and that inventory is now dead on the market and can't come back to market unless they default um charlesville one percent year over year why so tight in charlesville from appreciation year over year when it's the same phenomenon of no inventory on the market we have no inventory in charlesville we have no inventory in because you you'd already you already taken those 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 barely qualified buyers off the table for that that circle before any of that happened jeff thoughts agreed um nothing dead yeah okay how about this one on uh on uh nelson a 25 percent drop there I, I think you've seen with, with Nelson, you, you tend to see the, the, the great swings up and down depending on how the economy is going. And so I think they rode it up and then you don't have as many sales and you, you see it come back down. I think a lot of that has to do with wintergreen and resort and second home sales. That's, that's all kind of meshed into their numbers. You couldn't sell one of those condos for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, like, wildfire at Wintergreen. Mm. Yeah, he's exactly right here. Questions are coming in faster than I can keep up with here. This one is for um, Jeff. Does he – how much more inventory – and he doesn't have a crystal ball, so I'm going to help my man out with this question because mm. this is a crystal ball question. How much more inventory does he expect to see come on – come spring – 
with the spring market? Tough to say, right? It's 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 tough to say, um, but what we hope for is um, you know something in the range. I, th I think now you're like two months worth of inventory. They say a balanced month, a balanced market is five months uh, worth of inventory. Will we see that? We just don't know. Um, it's possible. Um, advice that you would offer as a follow-up question for folks thinking about listing right now. Mm, thank you for that. Um, I'll try to keep this short, but this is really important in today's market. The purchaser today is all about vibe, frequency, and energy. And that means your house has to show really, really well, first of all, from the outside. So number one, get that new roof that you've been waiting for. The new roof, the old roof that's got streaks in it and is 30 years old, it's got to go. you got to put up a brand new, fresh, sharp roof. And if money's a problem, there's ways to work around that. You also have to make sure that um, the landscaping and what we call curb appeal is all there. You have to have uh, green grass, dark mulch around your shrubs. You've got, got to have that. So green grass, dark mulch, nice new roof, limit the amount of deferred maintenance, hopefully very little deferred maintenance. And then when you go inside the home today, it's more important than ever. You don't even have to do the kitchen because the purchaser today wants to do their own kitchen. If you can't afford to do a kitchen flip, well then, of course, some stone in the kitchen is fantastic. But what is absolutely necessary in today's market is that you have fresh paint, changes the smell of the house completely, and new floor coverings, particularly love the luxury vinyl plank that people are putting down or got to at least have new carpet. If you hit these points, and there are others, but you please don't make this mistake of just putting your house on the market at an inflated price with no preparation. You've got to do that prep work. And if you do the prep work and you price it right, you'll get a nice sale and make a nice profit. But I am seeing some homes, even with this limited inventory that we have, I am seeing some homes linger on the market. And once you start lingering, all the purchasers and the agents, they start asking the question, what's wrong with it? And it's hard to come back from that. So in today's market, do the work up front, roof, uh, exterior, inside with the paint, the carpet, floor coverings, prep it, price it, and it'll sell. I love it. Great take right there from Jeff Gaffney. Scott, you want to add to that? I could not agree more with the last point of listen to the professional who is telling you, I know that you want to get X, but in order to do that, why don't we come down just a little bit so that we get people who walk in the door? Because if you get through the first 10 days and you haven't had any showings, you have a problem. And we all want you to get as much as possible. But we also want you to know that you're selling a house, not listing a house. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you know, I'm always going to defer you back to your realtor, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that guidance if you're talking to me. Trust your trusted advisors. Um. 
question's come in for Jeff Gaffney from a diehard Wahoo fan, asking Jeff what he thinks of the football season this coming year. This is off the real estate topic, but the man can pontificate on UVA sports. I think we're going to surprise some people. I'm one of the few that thinks we're going to surprise. And so I think we're going to be around 500 is my prediction. And based on everything that has happened with the program, I think that's a huge victory and will be a big stepping stone going forward. Um, Shout out to, and maybe Jerry can can get more scoop on this, shout out to the 38-year-old kicker. Oh, yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Yeah, out of the military. (laughs) So we got a guy who made the roster as a 38-year-old kicker that is living a lifelong dream of playing college football as a kicker. My man, Jeff Gaffney, um, a kicker himself, still, I'm going to brag about you a little bit here, a friend of the program, Jeff Gaffney here, still holds the all-time points record for UVA men's soccer. This man right here, the all-time point scorer. We're talking goals and assists. Men's soccer, Jeff Gaffney here, also had a cup of coffee in the National Football League as a kicker right there. And I would not be surprised if we, uh, if Judah goes out and holds a pigskin on Market Street, if Jeff is still not booting 50-yard field goals over there to City Hall. Time will tell. Maybe we'll do that for some content on the program here. Kickers in your blood, Jeff. I'm really a soccer player that got converted to a place kicker. But when I saw that article come out about the 38-year-old kicker on the football team, I was like, you know, now my only question, Jerry, excuse me for going too long on this. I love it. I just, I wonder, um, does he have any kicking experience? But um, nonetheless, a 38-year-old mind, kicking is all in the mind. Um, once you're a D1 athlete, you've got that leg. The rest is up, you know, between between the ears. And so I would, ju- I just wonder if he's done any kicking high school or anything in the past would would be the question. But my, if if for some reason he's if he tunes into the show, I would say just slow it down. That the what ends up happening in kicking is when you come at it sort of like golf. If you come at it too fast. There's too many bad things that'll happen. It's nice and smooth. It's like a seven or eight iron, nice and smooth with a 38-year-old brain. Love the idea of that on the football team and looking forward to seeing it. A former uh, Marine Corps um, participant, he was uh, worked in helicopters um, in rescue capacity. Um, he is now a Darden student in his second year and he made the Virginia football roster. I mean, it's truly like uh, a Disney movie waiting to happen right here. The only thing we need is for him to hit some game winners, and then we really have the icing on the cake. And Jeff's uh, conversion from soccer to kicking um, briefly in the NFL reminds me of, and you'll remember this name, another Wahoo, Tony Miola. Yeah. Tony mm-hmm. Miola, the goalkeeper, yeah. also tried to make that transition to kicking in the National Football yes. League route. Remember the goalkeeper? I do. Yeah. Um, Team USA goalkeeper at one time as well. Tony was a great athlete. Uh, hell of an athlete. Hell of an athlete. All right, gentlemen, we go an hour and ten minutes here without stopping. You guys, it's truly a breeze having you on the program. How about some closing thoughts for the viewers and listeners? Scott, you want to start? Um, for those out there, you know, keep an eye on the market. Uh, we got some CPI data coming in and uh, – it's what we're looking for that's going to continue to bring rates down closer to uh you know 50-day moving average kind of get back to you know below seven percent i think that's the direction that we're heading uh you know we'll we'll see to be determined if you're out there i've got quite a number of people who have 
uh, taking a pause in the process. They come in, their you know, inventory largely drives their interest. And uh, we are seeing, you know, uh, ebbs and flows of what's coming on. So don't give up. There's something out there for you. Keep in touch with your team. We'll keep it moving. If you're out there as a realtor, you know, don't get, you know, disheartened. We're, we're here doing the work. We'll figure it out. I like it. Um, show's yours, uh, Jeff Gaffney. I would end with this. If, um, if you own your home currently that you're living in, if you own it, Call your realtor today, this week, this weekend, and just ask the question, how much do you think my home is worth? Get educated. It's going to be a larger number than what you are expecting. But just start the conversation with the question, how much is my home worth? How much do you think I could get for my home? Do you have any buyers is there a market for my home? What would I have to do if I was going to sell my home? Just stick your toe in the pool of selling. And what ends up happening, this happens every day for me, thankfully, is I get that call and it just so happens I have the buyer and you make a match and sometimes it never even goes to market. So it can be really easy, but it starts with you, the seller, asking the question, What's my home worth? What could I get in the market today? And what do I have to do to get it ready for sale? Start with that. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And take advantage. I mean, right? We've all been taught buy low, sell high. This is the sell high. Here's the gift. I love it. Roger Voisinet says this. Everyone listening to this program, Jeff Gaffney was an All-American at UVA <laughs> and the men's soccer team. Thank you, Roger Voisinet for highlighting that on the program. We love you, Roger. We love Jeff. We love Scott Morris. Judah Wickhauer is a man that should get accolades and attention. He keeps us online, and he keeps the microphones and cameras streaming like they're supposed to. This show is Real Talk with Keith Smith. Keith and Yona are in San Diego at the Brian Buffini Conference. I believe he's back in the saddle on Monday. On Friday's Real Talk, we have Neil Williamson, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum, right here on the show. I think it's going to be a dynamite program. The I Love Seville show is up in one hour. Donna Price, the chairwoman of the Almoral County Board of Supervisors, is on the program tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss that interview. For Scott, Jeff, and Judah, I'm Jerry, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. So long, everybody. Gentlemen, you guys crushed it. It's a great Thank you, sir.